Welcome to the Motivational Firewood Radio Show, hosted by keynote speaker, author, and vision board mastery creator, Steve Gamlin. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey there, my friend. Steve Gamlin here. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Motivational Firewood Radio Show. We've got an awesome guest, man. This guy and I, we're brothers from other mothers. And every time we have a conversation, we realize somewhere in the woodpile, we might actually be related or at least cosmically, not quite sure yet. So today's guest is Brad Zollis. Brad is a creative director, master communicator, TEDx speaker, a shaman, and a fire starter. He's a serial <laughs> entrepreneur, a former C-level executive, an award-winning author as well. One of Brad's companies, K2 Design, turned Brad into a web pioneer and a dot-com executive. As a result, Brad was thrust into the limelight, has been featured in Forbes and Inc. magazines. Advertising Age has appeared on international television shows, podcasts, and other media. Brad is also the host of his own podcast, I've been very fortunate to be a guest on, called Awakened Nation, and he's the award-winning author of Liquid Leadership. Brad is a serial entrepreneur who's created over 10 companies in his lifetime. And something I discovered a while back, Brad was also a stand-up comedian, which I did for a number of years as well. So we'll touch on all these things and more. Brad, welcome to the Motivational Firewood Radio Show. Steve, thanks for having me on, man. Uh, do you have people who walk up to you still and they say, hey, be funny? <laughs> Yeah. Tell me a joke. Make me laugh. And I just look at him. I go, well, I, I didn't tell jokes when I was in stand up. I said, I have stories, routines, et cetera. Well, tell me a story. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This could, this could take a while. Yeah. This could take a while. Yeah. You know, I used to be on stage for anywhere from eight to 20 minutes. So, you know, how much time you got, you know, if you're waiting yep. on a sandwich or something, we, you know, we, I may have to just follow you into the parking lot. Usually I get people going, wait, 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 you, you took a company public on wall street. You were a C-level executive and then you did stand-up comedy. It's yeah. usually the other way around. It's yeah. Like, well, yeah. I, I did stand up right on the heels of blowing my life into a million pieces and wrecking it. And, you know, people like, oh, I must've been great using that as humor. I'm like, yeah, I got to relive all the pain on yeah. stage and make you laugh while telling it. But, you know, but the it, is of where we are, it is therapeutic. Yeah. Exactly. A hundred percent. And now in addition to your TEDx, you know, speaking, you also help other people to find their space on the TEDx yeah. stage. And, uh, you know, if we can start right there, what do you see sure. in, in so many people, whether it be for entrepreneurs, starting their own podcast, getting up on a stage, what do you see as the biggest fears or the biggest roadblocks for people? And this may apply to every part of what you do. What are the things that you help people to work through so they can ascend to better versions of themselves, personally, professionally, whatever it might be? Well, it it usually boils down to the story they have told themselves or the story they're they're bringing to the outside world. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember doing a uh, book. We were producing a book years ago, Tom Cunningham and I. Uh, on millennials. It was just millennial stories. And so I would have a weekly phone call with each new millennial coming on and each got 15 minutes and there might be 20 people on the call, but each person got about 15 minutes. And one of the young women uh, who was on the call, she started talking about her life and success. And she met the mayor of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. She has a, a spa up there where she helps women, you know, do their eyebrows and she does makeup for weddings. And, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking success, success, success. That's all she keeps talking about. And then I said, well, what was the turning point? And she goes, I realized 
I had to change my life when I was sitting in a jail cell after I stabbed my husband. And I went, that's the story. (laughs) I mean, you know, that moment where you go, holy, whoa, whoa, hold up. You know, I made everybody stop. And I go, that's your story. It turns out her, uh, her husband was suffering from PTSD and he was coming home from Iraq and he would knock her out. And she, they had that, that one fight, that last fight. And uh, she says, I got to get out of here. And it changed the direction of her life. And almost nine out of 10 times I tell people, when you are going to do a TED Talk, the first five minutes is important because that first opening salvo, that opening story, that is what's going to define the TED Talk. So uh, Dr. Lise DeGeer, I had her on my show. She had been burned over 65% of her body uh, at four years of age, barbecue fire. And so she had her arms fused to the side of her body. She had no lips. She had no jaw. She had nothing. Her face had been, you know, melted off. She, she looked horrendous. She even says this. And through the years, after hundreds of surgeries and this wonderful doctor, she tells the story of how they reconstructed her face, her lips, her ears, and, you know, brought everything back. It's a very sad, but wonderful story because she talks about the power and the strength that she had to go through the resilience and her brother being there when the kids would tease her and call her a monster that she just landed a Ted talk and her opening story. That's the opening story. And then it's the work you're doing now that's changing the world and what you will call upon for the future of the work you're doing. So there's three parts to a Ted talk. So that opening story, uh, a lot of times, this is what I see, Steve. I see, I see people when they write their resumes or they, they, they want to, you know, are asked, what have you done? That's unusual. They really repress the one thing that changed their life or defined them because they don't think it's relevant anymore. Or that was in the past, or, you know, that was, that was just crazy. Kawinky dink, you know, and I, 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 anybody who's listening right now, I challenge you to go back and look at some of those milestones in your life. Just make a list. Don't judge it. Make a huge list and have someone else look at it. And they'll look at it and they go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You did that at, at 35? Are you redefined an entire industry at 50? Um, and it's not bragging. If you are that person who's done something extraordinary, you got to talk about it, you know, because the whole premise of my show, as you know, Steve, is what was that, you know, proverbial slap in the back of the head that knocked you on your butt and you turned around and you said, I can no longer live my life this way. And you change everything. What is that defining moment? And that's where Ted talks begin. That's where real authenticity begins. That's where leadership begins, true leadership. That's where I, I believe we find our humanity at those deepest wells. And so many people, they, they tend to broad brush or, or, or just kind of mix it down into yeah. their lives. And, you know, I know a lot of people, they don't want to capitalize on drama or whatever. Or they don't think it's very significant. Yeah. But when I hear people do things like that, and I, you know, I get on coaching calls with people and they'll admit some, some point that was the boulder that fell in the river that just changed the direction of the water, four degrees. Yeah. Well, four degrees here is a whole other riverbed somewhere else because it shifts in, in the direction goes and people say, well, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. Well, it got driven home for me recently. I listened to a podcast with Ed Milet and Amy Porterfield and they were Mm -hmm. saying so many people don't think they're significant or that much different or that much 
you know, better or an expert. And Amy said something that I'll never forget. You only need to be 10% ahead of where most other people are to be considered an expert. So we don't have to have that Hollywood moment where we rise up out of the ashes and the clouds part and the angels sing and the music swells. And all of a sudden the hero is like, you know, riding off into the sunset triumphantly with, with flames and sparks coming out of their fists. It doesn't have to be that. Yeah. We have to be is that just that have that thing. And you're so good about sharing yours, but also getting it out of other people because I know you coach people to to find their yeah. place on the TEDx stage. And you know, I've seen video clips of you speak being a keynote speaker as well for for various uh, mm-hmm. organizations and associations. And I'm like, man, Brad's got that spark that if I was sitting there in that audience, I would feel as though there's something great about me. And this guy is up on stage, not bragging on himself, but helping me to become the best version of myself. And that's, you know, there are two different types of speakers out there. We've both yeah. been at this a long enough time. To know that some people are up there just stroking their ego all over an audience and other people like you and I, we're sending our message to the deepest, darkest, most shadow-filled corners of any room we're in to find those people that just need something to get through that day and to rise up themselves. And those ego-stroking speakers will never find their way onto my show <laughs> because I like the regular people like us who Thanks. are up there for, for authentic and vulnerable and, and genuine reasons to just drip value wherever yeah. we go. So somebody could pick it up. You know, I've, I say the, the reason I, I'm called motivational firewood is because someone's got a spark in their heart. If I can give them a piece of something, put it in their heart so they can see a better outcome for themselves and then take action. There they go. That's so true. And thank you. Thank you for the, the, the words of the kind words. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in a small town and you know, I didn't, I didn't have uh, parents around to stroke my ego. Uh, a lot of times my mom called me Hollywood. She was very cute about it, but uh, you know, I did what a lot of people did. I, I had the big ego when I went out and big ego is compensation. You're compensating for something. And through the years, I've been smacked and knocked down and I've had some successes and I've had failures. And I learned I don't need to be that pretentious person. That's insecurity. So instead, you know, when I talk about myself, I almost always talk about how I screwed up and I make it funny. Um, You know, that first time my my business partner comes into the office and says, we have to be an Internet company. And I'm like, what the hell is the Internet? You know? I'm being honest. Nobody knew in 1994, you know, so um, I, I, I actually like to get the bigger laugh from, you know, self-deprecating uh, humor, but then I flip it around for the lesson. And that that's just a style I learned, um, you know, because I was always a funny person and that gets the attention from the audience. It makes them sit forward. Uh, if we can analyze keynote speaking or coaching, um, that gets people to sit forward and calm down and go, oh, I want to listen to this more. And then the lesson, I like to have it be like an aha moment. You know, it, when I write something, I want an aha moment on every other page where people go, whoa, wait a minute. You know, it's the setup, the pause, and then the punchline. And and thank you, you know, for, for throwing out the compliment there. But I, like you, we were talking in the green room before we started I I sometimes don't talk about certain things because I think everybody knows this. Yeah. And the reality is, is every person is discovering a new truth that we may have known for 20 years and they suddenly learn it. Now they have other truths that we may not know, 
but that one kernel of knowledge that that I've obtained by getting my skin, you know, scabbed and scarred a few times, hopefully I can pass it on to help you not make that mistake I made. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I said that the other day, I said, somebody got, I don't think they were intentionally being snotty, but they weren't really familiar with my work. So I got the question of, well, what qualifies you to do this? I'm like, which part of my body do you want me to roll up the the sleeve or pant leg up to show you the scars? I said, look, I got more dings, dents, and scars, and I keep falling back into the ashes, like going back into the forge with, yeah. with battle marks and then getting hammered out into a new shape and quenched and put back out there with strength. I said, which, which scar, what story do you want to hear right now? Because I've damaged yeah. every single part of my life. Some of them were... Yeah beyond my control most were within my control they were just rash decisions not very well thought out at the time and that's why when people say hey steve how do you make up those stories you share on stage i tilt my head like a puppy make up. really <laughs> have you not been paying attention to the uh phoenix riding a pogo stick for the past 20 years <laughs> you know <laughs> learning how to fly that, again and regrowing its tail like feathers it. I like that image, pogo stick, um, you know, Phoenix. And that is true. I mean, I'm, I don't think our parents ever taught us this, but life is a series of rebirths, deaths and rebirths. I mean, uh, I've never talked about this before. This is funny that you brought this up. But, you know, the end of a marriage a lot of times is a rebirth. You know, it's a coming into, okay, wow, I can't believe I spent that much time with that person. And I was actually suppressing my true nature in that relationship. And, you know, when you get out of it, you're like, oh, life is horrible. And then a year later, you're getting better. Two years, three years later, you go, oh, my God, I I, I haven't done this this artwork or or drawn or painted in 20 years. And I was with this person and I thought it was perfect. And it's not. A lot of times when it comes to an end, it's really uh, spiritual. It's like, okay, we're going to sever this because you're not growing. You know, I don't know what you want to call it. Your, your guardian angels, your guides, the Holy spirit, it, it, it will end something that no longer values you to challenge you to go where you truly want to go. It's heart centered. Uh, I mean, think about it. Everybody who's listening, when was that moment where you say, Oh, I got this great job. I'm going to save my money. And two weeks later they fire everybody. And you're like, Oh man, actually that was an opportunity to go get something better. My girlfriend recently, she is a genius when it comes to accounting. She knows numbers. She's very uh, forensic when it comes to accounting. Mm -hmm. She was at a company that just berated her every day, treated her horribly. Um, And then she, they fired her. They fired three people. And it turned out that the person who was running that, that area was controlling the fiefdom and wasn't growing. Like, she didn't know what she was actually doing because accounting has changed so much. Well, within two weeks, she had negotiated with a headhunter and she got her dream job, nice. my girlfriend. Yeah. And now every time she does something, the CFOs call her up. They got, they got multiple offices around the world. They call her up and they go, we've never been able to, to forecast expenses until you came along. And this is coming to spin around 10 years. Nice. And you're like, you will be put into where you belong if you let it just happen you know and that's that's part of the law of attraction you know we were talking a little bit about that um you got to get clear you got to get defined but also you got to let go of the outcome and it just it flows man it flows and that's that's actually the perfect time to get to this because we're talking law of attraction and and yeah i was saying i i even even written in my show notes i said 
you know, it feels weird saying this, but Brad believes in the law of attraction. And every time I say that, it's it's because people have said to me, oh, yeah, that law of attraction and visualization thing. I tried that. It didn't work. I'm like, let me guess. You went to a vision board party. And they're like, yeah. I go, and the marketing for said party was, hey, we're having a vision board party. We're going to have wine, cheese, cracker, scissors, glitter, glue sticks, <laughs> you know, poster boards, magazines. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, yeah. I go, and so you go, it didn't work. I'm like, okay. And, and again, like we said, I forget not everybody understands this. I mean, I started right down in the ashes yeah. and learned the very basics of it from a gentleman, um, John Asaraf, whom you're familiar with. You've shared yeah. a stage yeah. with John. Yeah, I met John. Yeah. For about three minutes inside of a 98-minute DVD version of The Secret, some guy named John Asaraf, who I'd never heard of, this is around 2004, 2005, was talking about this thing called vision boards. And I was fascinated. And actually, he's not yeah. even aware of this, but he he planted the seed where I already had a spark of something that created my entire career over the past 18 plus years by that little thing called visualization. And I understood it and I screwed it up for the first few years. And now I'm yeah. just, you know, creating these amazing wins in my life and not, not just scoring wins, but creating a better version of myself. And you've got the, an amazing visualization story where not only did you manifest something amazing, but you got to coach yeah. some other people very close to you who had yeah. no idea what it was all about. So, you know, share the story of that and how you, your, your first big, cause I know you've had so many. Yeah. Law of attraction visualization. Oh, this is, it is, it's a funny story. It's sort of like that day you wake up and you went, Oh, okay. So first of all, everybody has to ask themselves, are you a visual person? Are you an auditory person? Are you a kinesthetic person? Because the law of attraction actually comes from Napoleon Hill's law of magnetism. Okay. So here I am, picture this, Steve, back in the early nineties, a buddy of mine from college says, Hey, let's start a business together. So for the first year and a half, we're struggling. Now we had great clients. We, we attracted, uh, quite by accident, uh, American express <laughs> and Banco Popular just out of nowhere, because we already had experience for 10 years in that industry. So he gets a phone call one day and they say, hey, uh, Banco Popular is fusing with Banco. Um, uh, I, forget, I forget the other name of the company. They were they were these two big Spanish Latin American banks that were fusing together. And they were from South America, the tip of South America, all the way up into Canada. And they decided uh, Banco de Ponce, that was the other uh, bank. So when they they fused together, they found out that Banco Popular was the best choice for their marketing. They became the largest bank in the Western Hemisphere. And we got the contract to do all their new bank applications printed and posters and everything inside the bank. Now that was about a $250,000 contract just to start for our little firm that was literally in a nine by 12 office. And the, yeah, I mean, and so I'm sitting there and, and I just have this attitude, like we're going to be successful. We had no money to start up. So we were freelancing on, on weekdays coming back into the office in the morning to do work for clients and then going out at night to freelance. And so Doug got, uh, he got that. I got American Express, which was the publishing arm and we were doing their sales kits and I'm sitting there and I'm going, we, we got to go bigger because we weren't making enough money to sustain two people. Yeah. So we had one of our buddies hanging out with us. Uh, Frank was there. And then this other guy whose wife had been working across the hall, she goes, you got to meet my fiance. And after they got married, he came over, Dave Setner, he used to work at Wharton. 
and I'm a very spiritual person. So my business partners were not. And so I go, how can I get us to visualize and, and create the company we want? Well, somebody showed me the book, Think and Grow Rich. I had no time to read it. And I'm like, there's a book on success. You know, that was, <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> and so I opened it up and the the two chapters that stood out to me, well, there were three actually. Mm-hmm. The first uh, chapter that stood out to me was the power of the mastermind, uh, which is when more than one person gets together and they plan things out for the purpose of, you know, either the, each individual in the group or for a group uh, you know, goal. And so I, I like that idea. And then the other one was the, the law of magnetism, which later became the law of attraction. Mm -hmm. And so I tricked my business partners every two weeks, I would have us sit down on a Friday around three o'clock because we would shut the computers off and we would sit there we'd get some drinks, ice cold drinks uh, in the summer. And, you know, we just start brainstorming. And I go, okay, okay, guys, let's close our eyes. And everybody got a sheet of paper. And he said, where do you want this company to be in one month? And I had them come out and write down where they want it, you know, after they visualized it. Then I had them close their eyes again. And they go, where do you want this company to be in six months? And let them sit and matriculate on that, then come out and write it down. And then I would go, where do you want us in a year? or even five years. And they would contemplate on that and then write it down. I would put them all in individual envelopes and put them in a drawer and just shut it. I wouldn't even look at it. I go, thank you. Have a great weekend. (laughs) Okay. And this was back at a time where if we had to do weekend work, our building closed on the weekend. So we had to, it closed at like four o'clock on a Saturday. So we didn't have laptops back then. So we had to actually pack up the whole PC and take it to another house. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, so this was crazy, but slowly here was the weird part. We started to attract not only clients, but people who wanted to work with us and wanted to be a part of us. And we started growing exponentially like you wouldn't believe it. And it was almost magical, Steve, because here's a good example. I, as we started to form our partnerships uh, and people who later became uh, business partners and we started hiring employees, I got, I come from that corporate meeting background, you know, that, the big meeting stuff. So I said, let's get corporate photos of us uh, for our brochures and for our stuff. So uh, me, Doug and David, we were in the main office and uh, I had a friend come by and take photos on a ladder above. So we're looking up and we have a computer there. Well, I swear, this is crazy kismet. Two weeks later, we get a call from Advertising Age. They're looking for uh, articles and the work and everything from companies that are building websites because this was becoming this new phenomenon, this internet thing. And they were doing an expose in Advertising Age on digital, you know, creating websites and digital economy and things like this. I didn't send our work. I just gave us uh, their, uh, we had brochures. So I sent, you know, our customer list. And and also I sent those photos that we had taken in four by five chromes. Well, you're, this is crazy, but this article came out in March, uh, ironically, March of 1995. And it had us on a full page article, that big four by five head headshot of us, the three of us together sitting at this desk and around this computer. And do you know, from that moment on, our 
phone rang off the hook and we grew 425% for five straight years. Yes. We went from a company that did $300,000 one year. The following year, we did 1.4 million. The year after that, we did 4.3 million. After that, we did 7.3 million. We went public on NASDAQ in an IPO, raised $6 million in July 26th of 1996. And we did that all without any startup capital, just visualizations. And so when people tell me it doesn't work, the law of attraction doesn't work, I can guarantee you there's one part of it that's not working for them. They're either a visual learner or they're a hearing learner or a kinesthetic learner or whatever. You have to adjust the law of attraction to how you work. And you've got to fire up that heart center. Um, I don't know if you look at any of the work of the brain work. They've now been able to map the tertiary field coming out of the left brain. Okay. So our left brain puts out a, a tertiary field, let's say, and I, I'm making this up. You you can look at the data, but it's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say that the tertiary field goes out 15 feet. My left brain tells me this is reality. My left brain makes decisions on the future based on the files in my brain from the past. Okay. Mm-hmm. But the right brain, and you can see this in a TED talk, Jill Bolt-Taylor, she was the one, she had an aneurysm that blew out her left brain. And suddenly she described what the right brain feels because now the right brain dominated. She said she could feel the universe. She could feel God. She was completely centered in the now. She's completely centered in what's here, but it opens up and has you step into the world that you don't know exists. We all have what we know, and then we know what we don't know. Like we, let me explain that. I'm not a neurosurgeon, but I know it exists. And I know somebody trains to be that way. But what the right brain does when you open it up, it puts you in the field of intimate possibility because there's stuff there that we don't know that we don't know exists. And the only way they've discovered to activate the right brain which is our manifestation side of the brain mm-hmm. is to open up the heart. Yeah. And the only way the heart can open is through creativity, something we love, something we're passionate about. And they started to see that the right brain's field is a thousand times bigger than the left brain's tertiary field. Nice. But it can only be activated, as I said, with the heart. You have to be passionate about what you want. Have you found some of your clients and customers, they're trying to manifest a goal that really isn't theirs. It's something in the back of of their mind that their parents wanted them to be or to do. Mm -hmm. And that's what they're trying to manifest. And they can't figure out why they can't manifest it. Yeah. Because it's not your dream. It's like it puts up a stop sign. It's like, it's like, oh yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to do this. Well, supposed to isn't a very passionate word. either and when you are passionate you see opportunities i mean through all your senses you you unlock and you see in that side of the brain that is open to the infinite possibility way more than the other side all of a sudden catches all these things it's it's like in the movie um what was the one with jim carrey where he he got to be god for a little bit bruce almighty oh yeah bruce almighty and all of a sudden he could you know when morgan freeman kind of promoted him to God, he could yeah. hear all these voices and all this potential and all this activity <laughs> that he could hear this frequency that he know he prior to that could not even fathom. Right. And he heard all these things happening all around him in, in, 
he didn't respond well at first. You know, his reactions, yeah, of course, made funny. the movie a comedy is is why right. it was there. But, I mean, you're you're exactly right in that it opens up, it pulls down the filters. And when you are fully in tune and you're not staring at your shoes, staring at your phone, doubting yeah. it or resenting something in your head. You know, I, I was supposed to go to school, get a good college degree, get a good job with a good company, with good benefits, put my head down for 45 years and retire with whatever, with a pension. Yeah. That was not my road, man. When I was 11 years old, I wanted to be a radio DJ, a stand-up comedian, an author, and a teacher of people, but not in a classroom. You're right. And as as hard as my dad tried to get me to back to focus on academics, I was my head was in the clouds. I also wanted my own recording studio because I was fascinated by making things sound cool yeah. and humor. And here I am, just turned 55 years old. I was on the radio for 10 years, did seven years of stand-up comedy, have published four books, and been a speaker for 18. I've been a coach for about 15 years. And wow. even to my dad's, you know, the last decade or so before he passed four and a half years ago, yeah. I used to ask him, I said, you remember the day when I was 17 and I handed you a, a stack of papers and you thought it was my science report? And he goes, yeah. And I go, he goes, and what what was it again? I said, oh, I rewrote all the lyrics to Stairway to Heaven about how much I hated my biology teacher. <laughs> and I said, you remember what you said? He goes, if you could spend half the time studying and being serious about your life as you did with this silly garbage, you'll get somewhere. And I go, and who has the award on his wall for an international radio award for a comedy bit that he wrote and produced? He goes, you... <laughs> because <laughs> <laughs> i've attracted all these opportunities that was my passion yeah. making people laugh being kind being creative coaching other people yeah. caring empathy heart everything has led for yeah. better or for worse everything i've manifested and created in my life as well as the people that i'm around which includes you i mean you and i are brothers even when you were sharing yeah, some yeah. stuff i'm like now brad didn't know that about me but you nailed the age 35 when i blew everything up in yeah. these other things and about my first marriage, which ended, I, I also had a first, you know, a test drive marriage and all the feelings and everything. I mean, we're, we're several thousand miles apart, but we're standing actually right next to each other on yeah. the path. I've always found that fascinating. You and I, we have so many similar stories. My father gave up when I was about 17 or 18 because yep. <laughs> he was a doctor of chiropractic medicine and had a bachelor's degree in chemistry. I mean, he was a brain yep. and, uh, I think it was my art teachers. They pulled them aside because we had a, a big art program in my high school and my, you know, they, you literally could get the day off to be in the art, you know, studio for two days and everybody got a tour and we would make the place look like an Egyptian temple and, you know, all kinds of stuff. We would always set up a theme. And then, uh, my, uh, my parents came and both my art teachers from when I was younger and my senior year, um, pulled my parents aside and they said, your, your son's really talented. He could do something with this, with his life. And that's when my father stopped worrying and started supporting me because he, he came from that era where artists and, and people who were, had art talent became sign painters. <laughs> so yeah. he was like, and my dad actually had some, um, you know, art talent. He's my stepfather actually. Uh, but he had some art talent and he started to realize that senior year, Okay. And it was like, I had a Stepford dad. He, he went from bitching about me, you know, not doing my academic and I got good grades. This is the funny part yeah. um, to running around and making sure I got to orientation for the art Institute of Pittsburgh for temple university, for all the colleges that were, you know, uh, swooning over me. My father just 
turned around like a 180. And, and all of a sudden it's like, well, if this boy, this is what you want to do, boom. And that was it. And I feel so blessed, uh, for my art teachers, you know, Mr. Walmer and Mr. Opila <laughs> to this day, I thank them. Yeah. Um, they changed the trajectory of my life. And, um, you were talking about different things, you know, in childhood, you know, people don't know this, um, people who listen to my show know this, but my mother was bipolar back when they didn't know what to call it. Okay. And they gave them experimental medicine and things like that. And my dad could be emotionally distant, but he was very much a a foreigner. You know, he was the first generation born here in America. Mm -hmm. So those traumas as kids, I now use them as stories on stage (laughs) and people roar laughing because it's a definitely a different generation of just expecting you to be a certain way. You know, um, I tell this story sometimes. My dad made me stack literally a cord uh, of bricks in the backyard when I was 10 years old. Do you know what it's like for a 10-year-old to carry two bricks at a time? That's heavy. Yeah. I spent yeah. four hours stacking those bricks. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it made a man out of you. You know, that's that's yeah. what my dad used to say. It'll put hair on your chest. And I was like 10. Yeah. And I, I did. I think it was 1,800 bricks. We had had a round patio yeah. that he and yeah. I had built when I was a kid and it needed to be disassembled because we were getting a pool. I'm like, ah, I'll do that. If it'll step up the production of this pool thing. And yeah. I did in a couple of hours, I moved about 1800 bricks and, and stacked them up Damn. and all that. And you and I were was, separated at birth. <laughs> just, just crazy. But all that stuff now, you know, and, and even things that might've been very painful at the time, or we didn't understand, but now that we see the lesson, we get to share it with other people who might still be stuck right. in the pain part. Or the embarrassment over their lives not being perfect. I mean, to me, that's gold. And it's funny, too. A lot of times pain, almost all jokes come from pain. Um, So, you you know, I discovered how to do this. You know, when I was first starting doing keynote speaking, I'm trying to get across to people that the next generation is different. And people would fight me and they'd sit in the back of the room and go, they weren't paddled enough, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So someone told me, why don't you just start using toys? So I started bringing out a GAF Viewmaster and I go, this is the most interactive thing that, you know, a baby boomer could use. And I literally, you know what this is like. You're standing on stage and you look into the crowd. I suddenly didn't see boomers. I saw 10 year olds. They were like this. They were looking up. They were. Yeah. Almost genuflecting, like I remember that. You know, they're just, you know, and I go, and I go, this was the most interactive device we could use. And then I pull out a controller from a play uh, Nintendo uh 64. I pull that out and I go, This is anybody born after 1984 was raised with this. Sega and uh Genesis and uh, Nintendo. Yep. I said, Do you think our brains are different? And that immediately stopped. Uh, you know, this, this fight over, you know, which generation is right. And they started to lean forward and listen. And, you know, we've had a huge shift now where people truly do want to go for the gusto in life. They want to really embrace being better, uh, every day. Uh, who was it? The French, uh, uh, he was the equivalent of Napoleon Hill over in France. Uh, Emile Coué, he said, uh, every day in every way, I keep getting better and better. And he says, say this over and over again. Um, Scott Adams, who wrote uh, Dilbert, 
before he became successful, he wrote 15 times on line paper. I'm a famous and wealthy cartoonist. I'm a famous yes. and wealthy cartoonist. I am a famous and wealthy cartoonist. He wrote this over and over and over again with passion every time, not exhaust. Oh, I got to do this exercise again. He, right. he, every time he, he approached it as if it was a brand new exercise yep. with excitement and joy, which remember what I said, the tertiary field of the right brain. Mm-hmm. That's the part that manifests. Yeah. Um, he manifested Dilbert and it became a cartoon on television as well in the funny pages of the newspaper back when we used to have cartoons in the funny pages. So now he's a multimillionaire simply because he used his own style of law of attraction. And there are no hard and fast rules to this because everybody does it in a different way. And I've got coaching clients right now. And one of their biggest challenges is their self-talk. Well, from somebody who beat the ever-loving hell out of himself with horrible self-talk from around 2001 to 2011 over all those changes in my life. I mean, I was brutal to myself for a decade. I mean, really bad. And I've got written proof in all my old journals. So now when I first have a coaching call with somebody and I say, well, what's going on in your life? And all I hear is them trashing themselves. I go, okay, first exercise, we're going to do this. I said, grab a sheet of paper. Grab a pen, write down one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I said, put it on the counter in your bathroom. And whatever time you start your day, I'm not saying you got to get up at 5.15 in the morning. Whatever time you start your day, I want you to look at yourself in the mirror. Start at the top of your head, work your way down. I said, as soon as you see something about yourself you like, love, appreciate, respect, or think is kind of cool, I want you to write it down for that day. And I know what's going to happen your first day, so I'm just going to give this one to you. You're going to start at your head. You're going to go all the way down. You're going to trash yourself, trash yourself, and you're going to get to your feet and go, well, hell, at least my socks match. Write that down. <laughs> Congratulations. You just did something amazing today. <laughs> Write that down. Now, they all do that the first day. I go, but you can't do the socks thing again. I've had people right. reach out to me, Brad, on like day three or four, and they go, hey, Steve, I've got really cool eyes, or or when I, I, I've got a great smile, or you know, I've got really sexy ears. I'm like, write it down. And it's funny that even after seven days, I see them flip and all of a sudden they don't realize it at first, but it's impacting the law of attraction because they're yeah. opening themselves up and they're seeing, they're not staring at their shoes or at the ground or their phones. They're actually looking. And I still remember my favorite one that happened. And this is uh, two years ago. I weighed 247 pounds. I was drinking wow. at least one tall drink every night, which was stacking up the weight. And I, and I just made a decision. I haven't had a drop of alcohol in almost two years down around 222 now, as far as the weight goes. And I remember one day there was a, a light bulb. Thank you. Uh, a light bulb in the bathroom that was flickering. And I reached up to take it out, to put another one in. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I went, hold on. Those are ribs. Hello boys. <laughs> and I haven't seen you in a while. <laughs> you look good. And I started cracking up and laughing. And that day I posted a picture on social media and somebody made the comment, Hey, Steve, you, you, you've gotten a lot healthier. You're looking good. And I'm like, this was the yeah. day that I noticed my ribs and I wasn't That's funny. trashing on myself because, you know, my neck yeah. was bloated. My face was puffy and, oh man. But it's when I started to recognize and acknowledge it, all of a sudden the universe, whatever you want to call it, God, the universe, energy, power, whatever, all of a sudden started to show up and support me, which helped me to rise up even higher because everything positive that happens is a brick in a foundation. We can stand up every time we get a new layer, we can rise up higher. So with everything you've already done, I got to ask, where's Brad going next? 
Well, it's funny. I, I want to add to what you just said, and that is this. Albert Einstein actually said the brain is only a receiver or a transmitter. And it's because we are soul. We are a soul operating this piece of meat. Mm-hmm. We forget that. And our reality is based on our belief. So if you don't believe you can make a million dollars, you're not going to. Les Brown said this. He said, the easiest thing I ever did was make a million dollars. And then he goes through the audience. He goes, okay, you all paid this, blah, blah, blah. I get a percentage of that, blah, blah, blah. I just made $1.2 million in this stadium. He said, the hardest thing I ever had to do was believe I could make a million dollars. And that is the absolute 100% truth. Your reality is determined by what you think about yourself. So when you look at a billionaire and maybe you're jealous of them and you, you make snotty comments, you cannot manifest any money as long as you say nasty stuff about Richard Branson or Jeff Bezos or any of these people. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of flip the paradigm in your in your mind that I love what they're doing, the work they're doing. Look at that car they bought. Oh, that is an awesome car. Good for you. Awesome. You should always be complimentary of those things because you can catch yourself. If you really want to catch why you're stuck and the law of attraction doesn't work, look at how you react to rich people. Yes. You know, look at how you react to them. Mm-hmm. And so now you 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 ask the big question, where is the future going? Well, I discovered I'm pretty damn good at interviewing people <laughs> and I've put a lot of effort now into having great interviews on my podcast, Awakened Nation. Mm -hmm. And the premise I came up with was, this was a a huge accident, Steve. You're going to love this. I believe in happy accidents. Mm -hmm. Pay attention to those happy accidents that happened because you didn't plan them. And that was this. Tony Rubleski had me on one of his uh, podcasts. And before then, it wasn't a podcast. It was a CD that he would mail out to his membership his group. Okay. The mind capture group. And so I'm sitting there and he's going to have me on this podcast as a guest with, uh, Ben Gay, the third who wrote the book, the closers, which has sold something like 15 million copies and Jim Palmer, captain Jim Palmer, who back then was the newsletter guru, but had created the dream business Academy. So I'm getting on this thing and I'm bringing my A game. I took my notes and this is what I'm going to talk about. And I've been on a hundred podcasts, either as a guest or a host. And it's always the same story. Hey, do you know how successful I am? Well, let me tell you. And this is how smart I am, you know, and I'm thinking this is going to be another one of those. Okay. I got to, I got to bring something to the table. Well, this is the most shocking part of this. Ben starts talking about the death of his son and having to get up and go and speak. Okay, just crushed. It crushed him. It crushed his wife. And Ben is is you know one of our. I think he's an octogenarian at this point. He's got to be in his eighties. Just a great speaker. People run into the room to listen to him. You know because he used to know Napoleon Hill. Mm-hmm. And then Jim Palmer starts talking about he got fired from his job that he thought would be his cushy job, and that same week he gets diagnosed with skin cancer. And so he was forced to be an entrepreneur. And guess what happened? They had no money for 18 months, no clients, no money, no nothing. He was just talking what we, what we say in software vaporware, you know, (laughs) he was, he was selling vaporware. 
Um, and so he started doing the chemotherapy and he started doing, uh, you know, different things to get his life back on track. He eventually had to go work at Target. And in order to save money, you know, most people would go to the Target that's the furthest away from their neighborhood because they don't want to be seen by their neighbors. He actually got one right down the road. He got a job at Target right down the road from where he lives. And he did this because, you know, they had to save money on gas and everything. He could walk there. And so he would get there at five in the morning and he'd be working. And yes, he ran into some friends and they were looking at him, you know, in his forties and fifties and going, Jim, what the hell happened? You know, they're very judgy, very imagine dropping down to the bottom like that and having to work your way up. And so when I was on this show it was Tony's highest rated show. Everybody leaned in and listened and the word got out. This is a real show. These are successful men bearing their souls. And, uh, I talked a little bit about almost going deaf as a, as a kid, I lost my, my, uh, my, my ears had to be worked on for two, three years. I had severe pain in my ears. Um, and maybe that's why, you know, my Hungarian father not communicating with me very well. Um, maybe that's why I want to be a master communicator and everything. And so that was the the sort of the the kernel, the gem that started Awakened Nation. And it was always in the back of my head. And somebody said, you need to start your own podcast. And it was never right, Steve. You know how that is. You got to go with the gut. Yeah. And when I launched it uh, back in 2019, I just called a bunch of friends, you know, like Bob Berg and Dub Barron and, you know, people who just stepped forward and said, hell yeah, I'll be on your show. Yeah. And friends, you know, started coming on board. And then I started to get more famous people uh, you know, baseball players who, you know, played in the, you know, the major league baseball. I, I've had, uh, you know, Panache Desai, you know, big spiritualists like Panache Desai, Dan Millman, you know, they've all been on my show. And I'm just as shocked at, at the my guests, but I'm here to serve this beautiful buffet for my audience because I hope that somebody gets something out of every show uh, because I, I we go into a deep dive into every show. Here's a good example. I don't know if you know Chris Salem, but he's a keynote speaker. And yeah, Chris is a great guy. And he he and I were keynoting at an event in um, Scottsdale. Mm -hmm. And he comes up to me at the after party and he goes, hey, I really want to be on your show. And usually when people do that, I challenge them. Well, why? What have you done? You know, blah, blah, blah. You can't just write a book. Um, And I looked at him and I said, I knew he had been through AA and things like that. And I said, well, the only way I'll have you on the show is if you're comfortable talking about your alcoholism uh, and some of the things you've been through. And he goes, hell yeah, we're going to talk about my alcoholism, my drug addiction, my, my uh, anger management issues, my, my relationship with my father. He goes, my sex addiction. He goes through a litany of stuff. And I go, you're the perfect guest, my friend. And we had such a great show with him because this was the defining moment for him. You know, this is an adult telling an adult story of how he turned his life around. And those are the kind of conversations I, I want to continue to have in this world with these people. I, I want to do a thousand episodes like that, where we go into how you, you know, you lost everything. How did you climb back up and out, you know, because resilience, it's not just a hot topic. It's like, well, how did you survive all this? How did you get through all this? I want to know, okay, because I've been through some hell myself. Yeah. Um, I wanted, I you know, when you were on, I wanted to know that 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 moment where you went out, that Caddyshack moment where you went out, and you're batting some balls around and you're pissed, 
And then eventually you just start laughing your ass off. What was that motivation? And those are better stories than somebody sitting there going, you know, I made a million dollars last week, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm thinking of Brian Regan when he tells that story of, uh, I want to be the guy who, one of the the 14 astronauts who walked on the moon. And that way I can, it tops every story. <laughs> yep. yep. Yeah. And yeah. in, in, in Thank you. you know, the tragedies of it, is when, and you mentioned this earlier, is when our guardian angels show up and they they don't, there's no uniform to a guardian angel. There's no stereotypical, there's no nothing. And I was a guest on a podcast recently, and this one actually made the host of the show cry because I was talking about two people who showed up at both at very low points in my life. One when I was 24 Again, did the whole college thing because that's what mom and dad wanted me to do. Well, my grades sucked. I graduated by 62 one thousandths of a point because I didn't want to be there and I was sabotaging it. And my friend, you know, one of my best friends asked, why didn't you ever follow your dream of being on the radio? And for whatever reason, I borrowed some money and went to broadcast school. Well, I worked 15 years worth of hours in 10, fried myself into the ground. My marriage was crumbling. Financially, I was in tens of thousands of dollars of debt, blew it all up, landed back in the ashes. Went and hit that bucket of golf balls in a thunderstorm under power lines, barefoot in the wet grass, daring God to hit me, thinking it was funny. And the next day, a life coach I just started working with for free, he was a friend of a friend who was helping me out because he had just gotten his coaching certificate and he was just test driving on me. Yeah. And he said, after I told the story, you ever thought of being a motivational speaker or stand-up comedian? Well, think back to what I wanted to do when I was 11. Those were the two missing pieces. And I determined during that interview, I said, "Wow, oh my God. I said, both of those people who came into my life were named Daniel. The next day I looked up what the guardian angel Daniel was all about. He was all about eloquence, speaking, delivering messages, building confidence, sharing with audience. I mean, I looked in and I was almost bawling when I saw that. I mean, we're talking 30 years ago now that the first Daniel showed up. Wow. And I never knew the significance of that name. So now I got a brand new story. That's probably going to be one of, that'll probably be my TED, TEDx talk. I love that. Guardian yeah, Angels and, uh, and that. And it's going to yeah. start with me hitting golf balls in the thunderstorm. That first I five minutes is going to rock. <laughs> I love that. Bring the golf club on stage. I have it. I it's actually right that. outside the recording and, studio and, door. And by the way, don't wear shoes. No. Don't I wear will shoes. be barefoot. <laughs> we'll put yeah. out some of that little green, uh, you know, uh, you know, fake grass there on the stage. Yeah. Instead of the red dot, we'll make it a little green, uh, you know, fake grass spot on stage. That would be cool. <laughs> um, I had a spiritual person reach out to me. We're good friends. And she just said to me, you know, you have the guardian angel Uriel around you. And I was like, what? And uh, he's the flame of God. And I was working on wow. some stuff and someone was calling me a fire starter. And I, and I thought, what a connection. Holy yeah. moly, all these connections. And um, my ex-business partner called me a fire starter from day one. So I was having doubts about myself a few years ago, and it was really a big shift to be able to say, you know what? Fire starters start movements. Yes. They start conversations. They ignite game-changing conversations. And that has become my mission statement, to ignite game-changing conversations. That's really what it is. And I think everybody should 
create a mission statement. Take your power words that you always use almost every day. Now, if you're a negative talker, like we we talked about, maybe you want to shift those. So I always say awesome. And the word awesome comes from, you know, awe of God's majesty, A-W-E, in mm-hmm. awe of God's majesty. So awesome to me is like a very powerful word I use a lot. Yeah. Ignite, you know, those are big words. And you start crafting and creating a mission statement. You know, what is your, what is your purpose on life? Every single soul that is here on earth was born with a mission that's in the back of their subconscious. It's up to you to discover it in your heart. And that's not easy. That takes a lot of reflection. That takes putting the kids to bed and spending an hour with yourself or half an hour. I remember uh, when I was married, the only way I could get a meditation session was to take a lawn chair and put it in the closet (laughs) And move my suits aside and sit in there and shut the door while pure chaos is outside. Um, If you have to do that, do that. But I think, you know, all success starts inside. As Lee Miltier has said, success is an inside journey. That's her, one of her books. And, you know, we, if we want change in our life, we have to start inside. What are your standards? Are you going to change your standards? Like you, you gave up alcohol. You know, I gave up alcohol for 25 years. Now I might have an occasional glass of wine or an ice cold beer, but it's not in the center of my, my life at all in any way, shape or form. What's in the center of my life is, um, hanging out with my girlfriend, listening to her, uh, loving her, supporting her, listening to my guests, um, listening in the way where I can take that little, little thing they said and pry just a little bit and see if they want to share that deeper pain, yeah. you know, if they're comfortable enough to do it now. Um, cause I, th- I just think great conversation. Um, I don't know how it happened, Steve. I swear to God, I have no idea how it happened, but I like talking to people and I yeah. think it, it came from my grandfather and my grandmother and my mom. They were great conversationalists. And my father, you know, he had the vocabulary and he liked to have these great intellectual discussions with me. And I think that's where, you know, I am at in life. You know, I coach and help people, but, you know, I want their story to be seen a lot of time. What is your story? Can we get it out there? Um, What is the pain story that turned your life around and made you think differently or forced you to be more positive? Um, I want to just say this real quick. You you talked about people that have a lot of negative talk in their heads. Do you know they found out there's a percentage of the population, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's something like 4 to 8%. They don't have that inner dialogue. They have no inner voice. There is none. Wow. You know, and some of those people, uh, they're non-essential players a lot of times in, in our lives and in other people's lives. But mm-hmm. if you feel you have the potential Everybody who's listening, if you feel you have the potential to be greater, to do something greater, but you feel stuck, reach out to people like Steve or me because, you know, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I mean, we were, we were dirt poor at my grandparents' house. And then my dad, he was a little pretentious. He pretended he had money. We did not. And, you know, so I, we go through life, every single achievement I've ever had in my life is because I changed my mindset and I said, I'm going to do this. 
you know, it, when I did my martial arts study, it started at 45. I was a, you know, a couch potato gaining weight after my mother died. I was like, and I wasn't depressed. What the hell was going on? My body shifted. Mm-hmm. I started taking a uh, Kempo jujitsu and it just showed up. I would turn my mind off. Your mind is going to lie to you, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it mm-hmm. will tell you half truths and bullshit because you may believe a lie that was implanted in your head with a post-it note and a staple gun from a Catholic nun back when you were a child or your parents or an aunt or uncle or somebody scarred you. Those are not truths. Those are just simply, like I said, temporary things that you believe. And you can pull those post-it notes off, remove the staple and say, I want to create a new memory or a new love about myself you know, I, I had a crooked nose my whole life and I got mocked for it. You know, I don't care. <laughs> you know, when I was growing up, my, you know, my father called me an idiot and a moron. My, my Catholic nuns that I grew up with thought I was the reincarnation of the devil. My mother was unavailable. She was very loving and I love my parents and I love, you know, how I was raised, but I reached a point, Steve, and you'll appreciate this, mm-hmm. where whenever ever somebody gave their opinion of me, I would completely discount it. It was like a keto. I would go, you don't get it. You know? And maybe in that beginning, when I, when I just pushed it away, I created a big ego out of that. Mm-hmm. But through time I became comfortable with the true nature of who I am. Yeah. And that takes time. That takes a lot of, you know, realizing I am a kind person. I am a loving person. I am creative. I am whatever you want to be, folks. Mm-hmm. Just say, I am yeah. something incredibly positive. Yeah. Like you. You are the deliverer of some great, great change in people. Mm-hmm. You help people change. And that is a wonderful road to go down. Motivational firewood. Love it. Yeah. You know, burning through the ashes and rising up on a pogo stick, right? <laughs> yeah, the phoenix riding a pogo stick. That's one of my favorite ones. That was one of my earliest keynote speeches. And people, somebody recently said, oh, that sounds amazing. I got to use that. I said, uh, no. <laughs> I said, you don't know what I went through to come up with that, you know, to inspire yeah, you that. Don't, I you, said, don't, you don't steal. Yeah, no. I said, quote me fondly and send the check. And she said, oh. Yeah okay so that's yours yes that is mine and and that was a very nice way of me of saying yeah don't use that come up with your own because it'll be something genuine to you and that's that's one of the dangers of the industry we're in as far as the personal development goes you know people latch on to these what i call the motivational bumper stickers you know you know fear and somebody says fear and all these people that went to a tony robbins event in like 1994 go fear is false evidence appearing real yeah Oh, or they come back from a God. Gary, they come back from a Gary Vaynerchuk uh, summit and they start swearing in all their videos, you know, yeah. um, that's why for many, many years, you will not see me appearing in any of my videos with my toys yeah. because I don't want people to steal uh, any of my ideas uh, yeah. because I have very specific stories in my keynote and I start the first 20 minutes of my keynote is just laying the ground rules of why we have a generational divide. Uh, and that took so much time to discover. We're probably looking at 20 years of research easily 
uh, to get to that point. So why would I be patient with somebody who says, Hey, I'm going to do your bit. No, you're not. I, I paid dearly for that and Mm -hmm. wrote a book about it. So, um, it, yeah, it, it's real easy. If you don't trust your own creative forces, yeah, you're going to steal from other people, but you just have to sit back and say, you know what, I'm going to find the next creative level. You know, that's what a creative director does. It's sort of my title when I work with people is I set the tone for like a magazine or a book or when a speaker wants to launch their career, I come up with, this is what you're going to say. This is the image you're going to project. And we're going to change the title of your book because this has more impact. So a creative director is not only working visually, but with the written word at the same time and bringing it all together. Yeah. To make people go, wow, that's powerful impact right there. And, yeah. and it all starts inside of you with your spin on whatever challenge or, or objective your clients come to you with. You know, you take your vast experience and you yeah. take it somewhere. And, you know, we're just mentioning fear. And I always say fear is false evidence appearing real is a joke. I have a keynote story. I have a stage story about overcoming fear. And the moment that it happened was actually in your hometown, standing at the edge of the 108th floor of the Stratosphere Hotel, looking down at the concrete patio. I'm like, wow, they don't even put down a Chuck E. Cheese ball pit in case this cable snaps. <laughs> like, I'm just going to hit the concrete. And I had a GoPro camera on my wrist. And in that second, split second, I thought, well, what am I afraid of? I'm not afraid of falling. I'm not afraid of dying. I was actually afraid of being judged by people that if, you know, there was an edit in the film on my camera when the young lady operating the ride said three, two, one, go. If I hesitated and didn't go for it, that people would mock me for it. And I was always afraid of not taking action when opportunity. So in my head, yeah. I went, what am I actually afraid of? I'm afraid of being mocked and ridiculed because I didn't go. When I had the chance, because I got scared. Okay, that's what I'm afraid of. Well, this young lady does this with people all day long, every day. So I can trust her. She knows it's going to work and I'll be okay. And just go for it. And, yeah, you know, one of, my, one of the my favorite part of telling that story, and I got the whole video and it's on YouTube all the way down screaming, my yeah. brain's out smiling. My favorite part of it is, and what I say on stage is a little voice came in my head and it said, I can deduct this off my taxes. <laughs> And I literally took the receipt from that jump, $132, including the rental of the GoPro, to my accountant. And I slid it across the table and he's very dry. And he goes, and what is this? I said, I jumped off a tall building in Las Vegas. He goes, I'm happy you lived. Why is it a tax deduction? I said, because I used the photo, the video, the story, the experience, and the lesson I got with my toes at the edge of the 108th floor, looking down at a concrete patio and I use it on stage and with all my coaching clients and he just slides it back and he goes, well played. <laughs> so like, well played, that's Gavin. mine now. I know he's like a little <laughs> mad scientist. He has a little mustache, but he doesn't twirl the end of it. He should. Well played, Gamlin. Yes, well, well played. played. I saw recently for $7, you could get the complete NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming PDF Vault and you can be an NLP expert for $7. And I said, oh this God. is why I will never buy anything like that. It's why I don't have certificates in a whole ton of letters after my name. It's somebody, yeah. I still get asked by snotty people, what the hell qualifies you to do this? Well, on that wall of my recording studio is a barn board wall and a little chalkboard. And one day I wrote down, this guy lived 
it. And I drew an arrow and yeah. I put my head next to the arrow and I took a selfie and I sent it. So anytime somebody gets snotty of what qualifies me to do this, I'd send them that picture. Yeah. Dude, I lived it. And all I can show totally. you, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychotherapist. I'm not, I'm not an analyst. None of that. I share what I've survived and what it taught me and how it allowed me to thrive beyond that. Mm -hmm. If you can relate, awesome. Maybe we can work together. If not, that's okay. But that's what worked that for me. And that's what I share. That's the basis of everything I create and everything I share on stage. The whole Vision Board Mastery Program, yeah. teaching people the whole journey of visualization of where you are to where you want to go, comes straight out of my journals from the early 2000s and be screwing it up over and over and over. Wow. That uh, rip line that you did in Vegas, to draw, <laughs> that's what first attracted me on on uh, social media. And I said, hey, I got a friend, this dude. He's living full out. <laughs> yep. And that that's kind of how I, I live my life. Mm -hmm. When my uh, girlfriend and I first started uh, dating, I said, let's go on an adventure together. And she looked at me, she goes, I say that all the time. I said, okay. So at 1130 at night, we're down in Dallas. We're at a, a one of these summits, you know, that uh, help you define your business. And we're hanging out late. And at 1130 at night, she goes, let's go to the store. It's only three blocks away. I said, let's do it. And so we run to the store, we pick up some snacks and goodies, come back, watch a movie, drink some wine, all this. And she looked at me, she goes, you're the first guy I've ever been with that when I say, let's go do this, you're not sitting there going, well, it's 11 and 30 and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm always up for an adventure. I'm always up for, let's do it. Yep. And that's how you should live your life. I just turned 60. And I have a lot of classmates from high school and, you know, college and friends I've met through the years. And I can tell the ones who are living full out, they don't see age as the factor. And then I see those few that are sitting there going, oh, I got to get ready to die. That's really what they're saying. <laughs> not, not I'm getting ready to retire. I'm getting ready. It's like, now I'm going to live. You know, I, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm getting away from my job and now I'm going to go on cruises. Yeah. Well, I can't tell you how many people... Uh, I went on a cruise with my dad and I can't tell you how many people were on that cruise where the guy paying for it was in a wheelchair with oxygen and the rest of the family's gone, isn't it great grandpa? And he's like, mm, you know, he's, yeah. he's two weeks away from, yep. from going down. Um, yeah. you want to live fully. You want to be able to say from the date of your birth and that dash in between to your yes. death date, what did I do that was significant? And it may be as simple as I forgave my daughter. And I decided to suck it up and drove out and helped her live a better life and rekindled our family relationship. Mm. Or maybe it's, I raised two great kids and you put it all into it. Maybe it's, you want to write a book. Maybe it's, you want to go do the strip line in Vegas. <laughs> maybe you want to just spend two weeks on a cowboy trail with some friends uh, where they ride horses and you, you eat like you did in the 1800s and, you just enjoy life, but life is meant to be lived. And if you have that one thing in the back of your head, you've always wanted to do, go do it folks. Yeah. Go do it. And, and taking from both of our backgrounds right here on my coffee mug, see it, be it, do it, know what it do looks it. like, know who you've got to be to do that and then take yeah. action and do it. You know, yeah. and, and I, gosh, I hear so many people who are right now where I was, and these are the people I just reach through the camera and hug and say, we're going to have some fun. <laughs> you just yeah. wait and take Here notes, we go. take a snapshot of where you are now 
And when we're done, I've got a coaching client I started working with in January. She has already built her own home recording studio. She's working on a book. She couldn't sleep one night. Two in the morning, she woke up and she says, well, I'm going to write a children's book. And now we're kind of collaborating on that. Well, that's how that's how Amazing. Twilight started. She woke up in the middle of the night and wrote chapter 13. That's how she started the book. Yep. Chapter 13. Yep. Got to follow those inner nudges, folks. That's so. it. And they are everywhere, and you're not going to see them if you're not listening. And if you're not listening, you won't hear this amazing conversation that I just got to have with my brother, Brad. So, Brad, how can people get a hold of you and learn more about you as we Uh, wrap up this epic conversation that could go on for another 12 hours, but I don't think my laptop would blow up if uh, if I tried to make it do that. You can uh, Google Liquid Leadership. That was my first book. We're coming out with the 10th anniversary edition in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Also, um, just Google me. You can find me just about anywhere. Friend me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you know it. Um, And uh, yeah, I'm always up for a good conversation. And uh, tune into my show if you'd like. Uh, We're on all the platforms. Look for Awakened nation that's past tense awakened nation and we're on iHeartRadio. uh we're on rumble we're on youtube we're on apple uh and pandora believe it or not i was blown away we got on pandora um nice. so yeah listen to the show see if you see a few guests that you might recognize or like including steve who was on a year ago uh yeah i look forward to uh to hearing your stories very happy to Thank have you. finally returned the favor, Brad, to have you on the Motivational Firewood Radio Show. Thank you so much, my brother. And one of these days when I go back to Vegas, you don't have to jump off the building with me, but no. we do have to <laughs> hang out. And, and my wife, Tina, and your girlfriend, we're going to have an adventure yep. somewhere in Vegas. Tina and Tao. I, I, yeah. My girlfriend's from Vietnam. Awesome. Tao, as in Taoism. Thank you, Steve. I really, really enjoy um, talking about this subject and also hanging out with my brother. You know, you you have so many great stories that are similar, you know, similar paths, uh, separated at birth, as we say. Thank you. You got it. Thanks so much, my brother. Take care. Thank you for listening. For more information on how you can create a more vivid, focused future with the Vision Board Mastery Program, or to invite Steve to be part of your next event, please visit stevegamlin.com.